Deep in the caverns of your heart breathes a vision. It was put there before time began, long before you even knew how to dream. As the sun and moon were spoken into existence, there it was, waiting in anticipation, because it knew one day creation would yield its carrier. You are that carrier, for before you were ever born, God had a vision of who you would be and how he would partner with you. It's time you took ownership of that truth and unearthed your God-placed dreams. Are you ready? Ready to set sail and venture forward into the darker unknown, but astounding and unexpected as God reveals the way step by step? Are you ready to abandon comfort in exchange for God's wondrous and mysterious plan? Will you clothe yourself in purpose and discover who he created you to be? The choice is yours to make, but make it with haste, for the hour has come. The journey starts now. Hey everyone, I'm your host Megan Spaulding and I am so, so excited to be here today and talking about what we are about to talk about. This is one of, I don't know, possibly my favorite things to address. Um, so one of the biggest questions that I've really seen Christians struggle with um, really in relation to going after their dreams or uh, really understanding their callings or their purpose or assignments or those kind of things, um, the biggest question I hear like, all the time from almost everyone I talk to is the struggle of like whether or not their dream is actually from God. And I think one of the biggest influencers of this internal struggle is really an improper view of, of who God actually is. Because if we think of God as this angry guy who's just sitting in heaven waiting for us to make a mistake so that he can smite us, then we're naturally going to be afraid of going after a dream if we don't 120 million percent know that it's from him and that's what he's asking us to do. Or another thing that I, I hear people kind of, I don't know, just like, their perception, I guess, of this issue um, is when they read verses like 2 Timothy 3.12 that says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then when Jesus says in John 16.33, it says, in this world you will have trouble. And and I feel like, um, yeah, I hear a lot of people taking those kind of verses and taking them really out of context and making the assumption that we're kind of just waiting for heaven and that this life here on earth is basically hell that we are not meant to be enjoying. And so when you take that um, view of, of the world and that like this is like a miserable place, then then it, it forces you to also um, worry that if, if you were actually excited about a dream, then you start thinking, well, this is probably just a fleshly desire that needs to be shut down because Jesus said that we're going to be miserable here on earth. So woe is me. I like this, so it must not be from him. And so the problem with both of these views is just to be put bluntly, they just aren't true. Because any examination of God's character ends with the fundamental truth that he loves us and he wants us to thrive here on earth. 
because he is a good father. And that's not to say there won't be trouble like we talked about last week when Isaiah says, when you go through deep waters, when you go through rivers of difficulty, when you go through the fire of oppression, right? Like, like that's, I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. But what I am saying is that you can actually enjoy life on, on the grand scale. That's what I believe. That's what I believe a good father would want for his children. So Luke 11, 11 through 13 says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though, are evil and know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I talk about this verse all the time. And it really has come alive in me, especially now that I'm a parent. Because now that I have two kids, I have Foster and Civil, and and shocker, I actually want both of them to be happy and to thrive and and to do well and to, to have peace and patience and all of the fruits of the Spirit. And while I recognize that their lives aren't going to be perfect every day, that they're going to hit bumps in the road, and that being a Christian doesn't exclude them from that reality, but rather pretty much like turns the volume up on that reality. But even knowing that, I still want them as their parent, as their mother, in the general sense to love and enjoy their life and to do things that they're passionate about, to to flourish, right? And if I want that for my kids, if I want that, if I want them to enjoy what they do, to find something that they love, that like makes their heart light up, how much more does God want that for us? Now, does that mean that God's not going to ask you to do things that terrify you and are hard? No, (laughs) like not at all. Like just think about Moses. Moses was super super insecure in his speaking abilities. Like he did not want that gig when God first came to him in the burning bush. He was like, yeah, no, that's a hard pass, God. Go and choose someone else. Like he was so close to turning that away. I actually almost laugh like every time when I read the story of the burning bush because Moses is like so extra. Like God shows up to him in this crazy miraculous way that was undeniably, undoubtedly God and Moses is like low-key arguing with God in this burning bush about his own abilities like as if God the like God of this universe the God who made this whole world who is showing up to you speaking to you out of a burning bush could like possibly choose the wrong guy and so so what does God do he doesn't make him feel bad What he does is he gives them a helper, an Aaron. It's like God saw Moses quite literally freaking out. And he doesn't like say, oh, well, you're too insecure to like take this on or you're too, you're not there yet or you need, you need to be wiser, you know, whatever, (laughs) whatever it is. He sees him freaking out. And so he says, okay, I see you freaking out. I'm going to lighten the load a little bit. You don't have to do this alone. I'm going to give you Aaron. And that's what I find so beautiful about the story is that Aaron, Aaron does start out as kind of being the mouthpiece because Moses was so insecure at the beginning of this story. 
But by about like the third or fourth play, Moses finds his voice. And at some point, the story shifts from an Aaron told Pharaoh to an Moses told Pharaoh. Moses, who was so convinced he was incapable of speaking in the way that God had called him to speak, at some point steps into his identity. And you know how Moses is remembered? Acts 7, 22, aka the New Testament, remembers Moses as mighty in his words. Or I love how the Passion Translation put it. puts it. It calls him an eloquent orator. I mean, this man is literally remembered as being the thing that he was convinced that he wasn't. So yeah, like if God puts a dream in your heart and you're not all kinds of excited about it, just remember neither was Moses. There are definitely those times. And just because you're having some kind of like response um, or fear, fear-based response to God's calling, like doesn't mean it's it's not him. Like there are definitely, definitely those times. But, but there are also times when God puts a dream in your heart that you are ecstatic about. Like, remember Joseph from last week? He was pumped about the dream that he had. He didn't know what it meant, but he was so excited that he couldn't help to share what God had told him. Or here, here's another example. What about when God tells you that that a dream that's so deep in your heart is going to be brought to reality, but despite his words, despite that he's promising you that that dream is going to happen, you can't help but laugh because it seems impossible. It does not seem like that can actually happen. I don't know if that reminds you of Abraham and Sarah at all. I mean, the point that I'm trying to make is that God is a personal God and your journey with him into your destiny, your response to your God dream might look a number of different ways. Are you going to be excited? Are you going to be terrified? Are you going to laugh and and like, uh, okay, I'll believe you, but I'm not, uh, I'm not sure how that's going to happen. God, like what's going to be your response to, to the dream? It, it all depends. Who are you? Are you a Moses? Are you a Joseph? Are you an Abraham? Are you any of the number of other people in the Bible who God spoke to? And they had a unique response, unique to their personality. All right. But I just want to I just want you to know just because you're terrified or not excited doesn't mean it's from God. But on the other hand, if you are excited and you are joyful and you are looking at the possibility of what God has spoken to you and just thinking, wow, I would love to do that, then it doesn't mean that it's some flesh desire you have to get rid of. Can we at least agree on that? Can we agree on that? But it still leaves the question. How do you know that it's from God? How do you know 100% in your soul? Going back to Luke 11, 11 through 13, if we ask for bread, won't he give us bread, not a snake? And here's why I quote this verse so much. It's if you are pursuing the Father's will, if you are truly concerned with being obedient to him, if you are interacting with him in your prayer life, even a little bit surrounding this dream, if you are asking him for direction, then won't he answer you? And won't the direction he gives you be good? Won't it be the bread you are asking for? We had a prayer night at our house in, in Nashville a couple times, and 
And one night in particular, we were praying over a friend of ours, and we prayed that God would begin to reveal his calling to him. And about a week later, he had dinner with my husband, and and he told him that he was starting to feel this urge to run for city council, but he was worried it was just his, quote, fleshly desire to do something cool. And that he was, I don't know, just not sure um, whether it was God or just him and his own desire to be seen or whatever that was putting these new dreams in his heart. And my jaw like almost hit the ground when I heard this. Like we had literally just prayed like the day before for God to speak into his calling. Like this isn't random happenstance or fleshly desires. It's an answer to your prayer. Like this is what you were asking for. You asked to know what you're called to. You asked to know what God has planned for you. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, you start having these desires to run for city council that you've never had before. Like I say that to say, if you have been seeking the Lord for direction and purpose and ideas are just being like dropped into your spirit, it is extremely safe to say that those ideas are from the Lord. He is a God who actually answers prayers after all. Do we actually believe that? But instead, I see people freaking out. They ask God for a dream and for direction. They ask to know God's heart for them. And when he reveals it to them, they're like, hmm, but how do I know that's actually you, God? Like, what in the world? Can we go back to the fact that God is a good father and he gives us the desires of our hearts? That's biblical. I'm not making that up. It says God gives us the desires of our heart, even if we don't realize what those desires are before he gives them to us. You know, when God gave me my dream for vision chasers, helping people step into their God dreams could not have been further from my mind. I was already co-running a business that had seemed some pretty notable success in Christian circles. And, and when God asked me to leave, I told him, gosh, God, like I have a business partner. And if I'm going to leave, I need to know what I'm leaving to. I really was asking him for an excuse to leave the season I was in. Um, when he called me out, I needed, I needed, a, I had really bad codependency issues. And so I needed a reason that she could like wrap her head around. And, and I'm like, God, you can't just like make me leave without giving me something that makes earthly sense. I couldn't just abandon her for nothing. And I, so I went on a fast and he dropped vision chasers in my heart, like almost immediately, like, like not even like 24 hours after I started that fast. And up until that point, I had never experienced that level of wanting to do something, of wanting to birth something in this world. I've always had dreams. I've always been super futuristic and I have a new idea probably every day. But when God gave me vision chasers, it was different. Like I knew I was onto something. Like somehow he knew that vision chasers was exactly what would make my heart sing, even though the thought of ministering to people in this way had literally never crossed my mind before that point. And, and that's what I mean when I say he gives us the desires of our heart, whether we realize there are desires or not. He knew. He knew it would make me come alive because he created me. You know, my new favorite Bible verse to quote now is from the Passion Translation in Romans, and it says, God is always right because he has all the facts. 
Like, how good is that? Like, he knows your heart's desires. He knows where you'll have favor. He knows when you're believing a lie. And he has literally all the facts. Matthew eleven thirty says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So why do we get so freaked out when our callings see, seem enjoyable and light? As the saying goes, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. And this, to me, is what God's light burden looks like. Like somehow, even though I pour time and energy into vision chasers, it also somehow pours life back into me. And that's not the case for everything I do. Now, I want to make this point again. I don't want to say that everything will be easy and go off without a hitch once you step into your God-given assignments, because it won't. Like things are going to happen. And these are the troubles I believe Jesus was mentioning Things aren't going to pan out as expected every time. Bumps in the road are going to happen. You'll have bad weeks and horrible days. You're going to come up against heart wounds, and you might even have to let relationships go. Troubles are guaranteed. But overall, in the grand holistic picture, I believe God places things on our hearts that excite us, things that we have a passion for. I found that even with someone like Moses, who's terrified by the dream in front of them, that they still have this unspoken draw pouring them, pulling them towards it. Like an odd excitement in the face of fear. And that to me is passion. I have this girlfriend who is super passionate about Bible translation. And I can't say that I have the same passion. Like I totally think it's a worthy cause and, and super important. I think it's awesome. But I am not up at night dreaming up ways to create income to support Bible translations. She has a passion for that. I have a passion for equipping women to hear the voice of God in relation to their callings. Her passion for that drives her. And my passion for you drives me. When a car has no fuel, it's hard work to get it to go somewhere. You have to put it in the neutral and push as hard as you can to get it to move just a few feet. Like taking it much of anywhere without fuel is just exhausting. So let's say you try to take your unfueled car to work. Do you think you'd make it to work? Or would you get too exhausted to go any further at some point? You know, passion is that fuel that keeps us going. It's what transforms work into something that brings you joy. And when God gives us passion, we need to pay attention to it. We need to tap into it and we need to protect it. But instead, we're sitting around wondering if it's actually for us, if we're actually allowed to want something so bad. And that doubt completely stalls us out. And this is why it is so important that we both know God's heart for us and exercise hearing and recognizing his voice. It's not hard. He actually wants to speak to us and he's not holding back. Ask him anything right now, right now. Just get quiet and ask him literally anything. Jim Baker of Zion Community Church has had us do an exercise at a conference I saw him speak at. He said, say your name in your head. That's what God will sound like when he speaks to you. And then he said, picture a face of your best friend in your head. Like that's what it will look like when God gives you a vision. And I like Havila Cunnington's teaching on how people hear God. She says there are four ways that people typically hear God. So there's the hearer, the knower, the seer, and the feeler. 
I feel like Jim Baker's exercise really helps this year in the healer. So I want to add a couple ex other exercises to speak to the knowers and the feelers. Not that God won't speak to you in a variety of ways, but I, I've found that most people have one way that he typically speaks to them. So have you ever had just a gut feeling? Like I actually identify or self-identify as a knower and and this is typically how God speaks to me. Although um, sometimes I am a hearer and sometimes a seer, but most of the time it's gut feelings and hardly ever, if ever, has it been um, feeling. But it's like I can't explain it. I just know it's what God wants me to do. So, so that gut feeling of like, I don't know why, but I don't feel like I should do that. Like God can speak to you in that way. And that's often like how knowers kind of, sometimes they just, you'll have thoughts that, that just pop into your head and you don't know where they came from. You just have this feeling. It didn't originate from you. And it's almost like a memory. Um, so anyways, but, but gut feelings, I think are the, are the easiest, um, easiest way to kind of test the like knower way of God speaking to you. Cause it's like, I don't know how I know. I just know not to do that. I, I don't know why I don't have peace about this thing. I just know I don't have peace. And, and so I'm not feeling like I should move forward. Now, not having peace is different from having fear. So we make sure that fear is gone so that we can assess, okay, do I have peace that this is correct? Um, so how about feelers? Um, think about when you watch like a super, super sad movie. Like somehow you can feel the sadness for yourself despite the fact that you're not the one in the movie. And I feel like that's how God speaks to feelers. You can really feel his emotions around things. So now that you're equipped with those things, go and ask God anything. What do you want to know? And then pay attention to what goes on internally. What do you hear in response to your question? What do you see? What do you feel? What do you have a gut feeling about? What do you just know? Like what things are popping in your head? And I've actually been trying to practice this with Foster and teaching him how to hear the voice of God. And I can't remember what brought on this conversation, but one night him and I decided that he would ask God his favorite color. And so God asked God his favorite color. And I asked him what God said. And Foster said very confidently white and <laughs> internally, externally, I should say externally. I was like, Whoa, Foster, that's so cool. I didn't know that God's favorite color was white, but internally I was like, really like white? Like I would think that God would like all the colors equally. Like, really? Like I was expecting rainbow or, or something like I was, uh, you know, that externally I'm like, yes, good for you, Foster. That's awesome. Um, but I went back and was reading my Bible the next day and came across revelations 35 and it says he over who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name in the book of life. And immediately a ton of instances of white in the Bible, like flash through my mind. And I was like, oh my goodness, like God's favorite color is actually white. And you know, it's a silly example, but, but this is like how basic I'm talking. Like this is what it looks like to begin to tune your ear to the voice of God. Like if you know that you're struggling, knowing whether your dream is from God or not, then I encourage you, flex this muscle 
daily. It's a muscle we actually have to exercise and learn and and figure out because we all hear from him differently. Like figure out how he speaks to you and and what your relationship with him looks like based on your personality and, and, and your just uniqueness. And this is how we learn the voice of our father. And as we take time to practice hearing his voice, then we just get better and better at it. And eventually it doesn't take us getting quiet and in, to intentionally hear him. We'll be able to hear him as we work and as we do the dishes. Like this is the case for me. I've, I've been practicing this muscle for so long that I don't have to sit there. Now, I shouldn't say don't ever because sometimes like just the noise of the world, sometimes you just have to retreat and just go into a quiet space and say, Lord, like I need you to speak to me. I need to just shut things out. But, but for the most part, I can hear him when I'm working. I can be walking around and he'll just drop something in my spirit and I'll just have like an encounter with him like out of nowhere. But at first we have to get real intentional and making spaces to ask God questions. And we have to trust that that when there is a response to that question that it's from God because we were asking him, weren't we? And this is how we learn the voice of the Father. This is how we learn the art of intimacy with Him. But we got to get real intentional, all right? We got to get intentional. We got to want it. We got to hunger after it. And then we have to trust it. So Lord, I just pray that right now you just begin to speak to the people that are listening to this podcast. Lord, I just pray that you just light up their prayer life, that you just show them how you want to interact with them, that you just give them one simple step. Like right now, I just pray, let's just, Let's just get silent for one second. And I believe right now God's going to give you one simple step that you can do to to just connect with him better for you, for your personality. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pause right here and I'm gonna let him speak to you. Lord, what's one thing that they can do to connect with you? It's as simple as that, all right? Just press into him, Lord. I just pray. I just pray that you just turn the volume up for these people, that they just will begin to know your voice so deeply and so intimately and so surely that there will be no question of whether it's from you or not and that they'll be able to confidently step out in everything that you're asking of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.